Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1 in verses 3 through 9, and it is headed in the NASB as a heavenly inheritance, and this is the word of the only true and living God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the word of God. The message for today is, is that of being held by God. This is part of the doctrines of sovereign grace, the perseverance of the saints. It is the last of the doctrines of grace. Uh, this is the P in the acrostic tulip, or the fifth doctrine in the uh, five doctrines of grace, the five points of Calvinism. Now, when I started this, this line of teaching, it was actually back when COVID started, when the China virus came in and we were having to meet, you know, either outside in a tent, outside of Bob and Evelyn's house, or in their home, once we decided we were going to come back in and to heck with what the state was saying about us not being able to meet to get to again. And I started out with the five solas of the Reformation, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and standing on Scripture alone. And what I hope and what I pray that we learn from that is that our salvation is totally and wholly a gift of God. It is nothing that I have done, because if it was up to me, you know, I would never have come to faith. And furthermore, if it is up to me to maintain my salvation through to the end, I would also fail. I do not have that strength. That is what, if we, especially if we look at the verses of of this hymn that we just sang, he will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful past, for my love is, my love is often cold, and he 
will hold me fast. And that is what God does, is that he holds us. Okay, this, 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 this gift of faith that God has given us, this gift of salvation that God has given us is totally a work of him. Not of us, because we could not even respond to it. And that's where, you know, we move into the doctrines of grace. It's that first part of the five soul, uh, five soul solas that we are saved by grace alone. And so why do we need that grace? Well, it's because we are totally dead in our trespasses. We are totally incapable of coming to, to uh, faith on our own. And it all goes back to, you know, the fall in the garden at that point where, you know, we had all the, Adam and Eve had all the free will in the world. And instead, what did they do? They went ahead and disobeyed God. They actually elevated themselves to, you know, when God said, do not eat. Right, when he said, do not eat, and they ate, they basically raised themselves up to the level of their creator. And that brought great disobedience and the first sin. And it is that sin nature through Adam through the loins of Adam, where we all came from, you know, that we have our sin nature. And so because, because of that, we are totally dead in our trespasses and sin. You see that in Ephesians 1, 1 through 2. And there is nothing, if we were to choose with our free will, we will always choose sin. 90, 99% of the time. And so how do we come to faith? It's because the Father draws us. We're elected. He, he knew us before the foundation of the world. And there are those, you know, who he has selected to come to faith, has elected. That is what we call the elect. And Christ died for the elect. That's the limited atonement. And when it comes to you know, us responding to God like that was our last, that was my last message there. You know, we can, we can resist, but eventually if God wants to bring us to faith, if we are part of his elect, we will come to faith. Some people like to say kicking and screaming. I don't believe that. I believe that God, in my own life, I did not come kicking and screaming. God changed my heart through the Holy Spirit working on me, you know, till I came to the point where I would hear the gospel, the real gospel, not what I heard back when I was a Catholic, but the real gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified for my sins 2,000 years ago. You know, once I heard that, you know, then God gave me that saving faith. I, re I believed in Jesus. I repented. It's all this that happens in this one instant, this one moment in time where we hear, we believe. Our heart is changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and we are saved. And I'm going to have to ask everybody in here, when God starts a good work in us, is he just going to give up on us and just throw it away? See, see, that is the part, that is the part of this doctrine of the preservation of the saints or the perseverance of the saints is that God will hold us 
fast. He will keep us in the faith. Will we fall? Yes, we're, we're human. We still live in this body of flesh that is full of sin, full of temptation. I, I mean, I want to look at Peter because we're going to actually take a look at Peter here, here in, just, in, just, in just a moment. Look at Peter. He denied Christ three times. You know, Peter was the one that Christ said, Satan, get thee behind me. And yet what happened? Peter came back. We fall. We fall sometimes greatly, but we don't fall completely. And he will hold us fast so that we will see ourselves through these trials and tribulations that we have in this world. And I will tell you, if we go to our, to our, our uh, scripture proof, which is in the Gospel of John, and I've been here a couple of times with, uh, with uh, everybody already. If we look, starting in verses, John 6, verses 37 and through 440, he reads here, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Notice what he says there. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. It doesn't say all that Brian says, hey, I think one day I think I'll have faith. That is human faith. There are those in the Protestant branch of the, you know, actually in the entire professing church who actually believe that they were not totally dead in their trespasses and sin. They were just partially dead. You know, they were mostly dead all day and they were a little bit alive or they were mostly sick, and somehow they decided to come to faith on their own. And the Father saw that through the circuits of time, and then decided, oh, I'm going to raise this one up. No, because even if I had that little bit of faith on my own, I would still fail. It still would not happen. This is what we talk about monergistic. Salvation is all a work of God and none of me, because if it was any part of me, which is the synergistic view, I would fail miserably. I guarantee you that we all would, because it's of our sin nature. So all who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. That means the Father draws and gives to the Son. Here, let's quickly go over to verse 44. I'll come back up to 37, 37 here. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, these are the promises of God. These are the promises that when we repent and believe, and it is a true conversion that he will not cast us out, that no matter how many times we fall, no matter how many times we slip up, no matter how many times we stub our toe, get in that mud puddle, wallow around in it, right? we will come back to faith because God has willed that. He is sovereign in all of this. We are not. No one can come to, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's go back to verse 38 in John 6. For I have now come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? It's the will of the Father. He has the ultimate free will. He has the ultimate will of everything that we do that we do here. And if you don't believe that he has the power 
to do all of this, to keep us and hold us until we get, you know, to the last days and that we will be raised no matter how that is going to be, no matter when that is going to be. A lot of people think we're kind of heading into that right now. We very well may be or we may not be. But the thing is, is that this is the God who created the world, the universe out of nothing. Out of nothing. Ex nihilo. He spoke it into existence by his word. He maintains it. He holds it. He keeps it together. If anybody in here would like to sit down with me sometime, I will show you just how slim and narrow all the little physical things that God does that he keeps in place, that if they weren't in place, I mean, we're talking to like the 256th to the minus 10th out, variance 1 or 2% on either side of that, the whole universe would just fly to pieces. We wouldn't be here. And this is the God who through power that we are held, and we are held in our salvation, all right, through our faith, our God-given faith, not our human faith. This is God-given, God-ordained, unconditional faith. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all these, I'm starting to read again here in the, in the, thir in the 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The promises of God. You know, I go back to the five solas and sola scriptura. For all of this, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, they all stand on Sola Scriptura. They all stand on the authority of God's word here. We learn about God in Scripture. We learn about his promises in Scripture. And this is the infallible, inerrant word of God, totally sufficient for everything that we need to not only know about him, but actually learn about ourselves and how to live as he would like us to live, as he commands that we would live. From Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation 22-21. And so if it is here in his word of scripture, this is law. This is his word. All right, and if there's any who have any you know, hesitancy at all in thinking, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not going to be, maybe, you know, maybe I have to be perfect all the time. And if not, I'll lose my salvation. We do not, those who are truly converted, do not lose our salvation. We don't. How do we know that? God tells us here in his book of scripture. He does. You know, true believers will persevere in faith to the end. And I want to read something that is that is built upon Scripture. You know, here in our programs, gosh, 
I believe it was two years it took to do this, two and a half years. You know, we put the Westminster Confession of Faith in our Sunday programs with all the scripture ref, ref, uh, references. And in this church, between and with Bob and I, that is what, you know, we hold to as far as a primary doctrinal statement or doctrinal, you know, document for our, te- our teaching is the Westminster Confession of Faith, or what we call the Westminster Divines. That's the Westminster Confession. That's the larger catechism and the smaller catechism. And the Westminster Confession was started actually in 1644 out in Westminster Abbey out in London. Uh, I believe they met in what was called the Jerusalem Room. There's about 100 different theologians from, I mean, from all over the Reformed Church. Uh, The majority of them were Puritans. And they finished in 1649. Five years it took them, you know, through prayer and leading of the Holy Spirit to come up with the Westminster Confession the shorter catechism and the larger catechism. And on our website, you can pull down a very good copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It is with all scripture references. It is very well done. And you can also pull down the shorter catechism as well. And up here until recently, we actually went through the larger catechism in our daily and in in our Sunday programs. But here's what the Westminster Confession you know, says of the perseverance of the saints. They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which arises also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, now listen, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened, and their conscience wounded, hurt, and scandalize others to bring temporal judgment upon themselves. But we will not totally, absolutely, and completely fall away. We cannot absolutely and completely fall away, because here in John 6, 37 through 40, you know, he tells us, and in 37, the ones who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. And no one can come to, to me, that's 44, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what I would like to do now is ask everybody to please turn to First Peter, 
chapter one, and we're going to go through verses, verses three through nine. So the heavenly inheritance. This was our scripture reading from today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. So we are so when we are born again, that is at our point of regeneration. You know, when we hear, you know, when our heart is changed, we hear the gospel and 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 you know the Father draws us and we come to faith, you know, and belief in G Jesus. You know, not that we just believe Jesus existed, but believe in him as our savior. You know, as it says in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and speak in your mouth or, or speak that, that uh, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this horribly right now, all right, that uh, uh, Jesus was raised after three days, you know, that you will be saved, all right? And, and that is our born again there to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, to obtain an inheritance. Listen to this. This is an inheritance that was provided to us before the foundation of the world. Let's go to the book of Ephesians real quickly. Ephesians 2. And I'm just going to read all the way from Ephesians 1 here. And I mean Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, that's Satan, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Amongst them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we were in the world, a product of the world, not capable of coming to faith on our own. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Drop down to eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Though so here, that is our inheritance, and which is imperishable and undefiled. What does imperishable mean? You know, imperishable, you know, is that we're not, it's not able to be corrupted. You know, not able to pass away. Okay, it is in, it is an incorruptible gift that was given to us before the foundation of the world, when we were selected to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. So totally imperishable and undefiled, can't be corrupt, cannot be corrupted, cannot be plundered. All right, there is nothing that is going to be able to take that away from uh, from us and will not fade away. In other words, it's not just going to go. See, that's the thing that people who believe that you can lose your salvation. And there's even some of this 
congregation here that actually believe that way. Now, is is the fact that when God starts that work in us, when He decide when you know you know He brings us to faith, now He's not going to let us go. You know, salvation without a promise of eternal security is not salvation. That's human faith. That's human salvation. That's conditional faith. You know, it's not the unconditional, all-holding faith that God gives to us and the promise and his promises of salvation. And God cannot lie. He cannot lie. You can actually read about that in um, in the Hebrew six, and the and I believe it is verse. Hang on here a second. I have that written down. Sorry, in Hebrews uh, six and verse four. I was thinking forty four, but there is no forty. All right, and it will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. So before the foundation of the world, those that have been selected to come to faith, what we call the elect, they have had a place in heaven reserved for them, for us, since before the foundation of the world. And let me ask you something. If God has reserved a place for us, is this one of these things where he's going to be kind of sitting there going, Oh my gosh, is Brian really going to show up? I got this place reserved for him. You know, what happens if he doesn't show up? No, that's not how it works. We already have a place in heaven reserved for us. We will persevere. We will be preserved, all right, out until the end. And that preservation is what helps us to persevere. And the verse five, who are protected Notice, protected by the power of God. You know, that is when when we're talking about protection, you know, that is actually can be even considered to be almost kind of like a, mil- a militaristic thing where, we're being, where, where we are being protected by, you know, a protector by our God. And again, I go back to the fact that we are being protected by the almighty creator God who is responsible for everything that we see here right now, our lives, this universe, everything. You know, God is sovereign. He created the entire universe totally by speaking it into existence out of nothing. And every molecule, all right, in this universe is under his sovereign control. You know, this goes back to... uh, uh, R.C. Sproul's mo- uh, Maverick molecule, where he says that there's just one molecule that does not follow that does not fall under the sovereignty of God. Okay, under the sovereignty of our Creator, then we cannot we cannot even believe or count on anything that is written in His Book of Scripture. Not one promise can we rely on, because then He is not the sovereign God of everything. And then he says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And see what holds us, what preserves us through all attacks, through all of our attacks from Satan, through all of our attacks from from the world, that what protects us is our faith, is our God-given faith, not our human faith. 
All right, but our God-given faith protects us. That's what holds us. Because it was given to us by God, by our Creator. You know, and in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Yes, Christians, brothers and sisters, we are going to be tempted. We are going to go through trials. I tell you, this last year has been rough. Amen. Not going to kid you. The thing is, though, is that through all these trials, no matter how difficult, no matter how horrific, you know, our focus is on is on Christ. Our focus is on the kingdom. Our focus is no matter who has passed away, no matter, or as I like the way Bob says, they've graduated. All right. That, that you know, even though these losses can be horrible and, and, and can cause us great pain for a little while. It is our faith and our hope that we will see them again if they too were Christians. And that kind of takes some of that away, some of that hurt away. You know, and some of those trials away, like what we're seeing in the economy here, like what we're seeing with the world. Gosh, I don't know. We might be on the verge of World War III any day now. All right. And there's going to be horrible trials, not just for that, but just being a Christian. More and more, you know, I see that 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 the hostility within our society, you know, towards people of faith. You know, even within, you know, you know, the, uh, the some within the professing church, you know, that it's going to get more difficult. We have to be ready, you know, for a time where we may not even be able to meet like this. Or if we do, it's going to be in secret, like what they had to do in, in, uh, in China and in, and in the Russia and in some of the other countries, especially those in the Middle East, you know, where, where Christians can't meet openly. And if you do, you wind up, well, you're going to wind up with your head gone. Okay. But these are trials that our faith that has been given to us by God is, are, are going to preserve us and allow us to persevere through all types of trials and tribulations. And again, understand that because we are human, all right, because we still have that sin nature in our flesh, we are still going to fall from time to time. And it could be, like I said earlier, egregiously we may fall, but we will never, ever fall completely because he will hold us. We will come back. We will because it is God's will that we do that. And so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in, play, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So these trials and tribulations that we go through, you know, these, these problems that, that we have in our daily lives, that how we work through them and eventually come back out with our focus on Christ, you know, that, you know, is, is you know, is going to be, you know, a testament 
all right, to our faith. And it will be visible to others around us and and maybe even help, you know, to to uh, uh, cause them, you know, to, uh, you know, I don't want to say come to Christ. You know, I'm not sure about that phrase. You know, the Father gives us to Christ. What we do is we have to repent and believe, right? I And, and, and I'm going to mention something here. And this is kind of I'm going down a bit of a rabbit trail here. But one of the things that I hear so often is, you know, I accepted Christ. I believed. I came to faith. I did this. I, I, I. It's not I, but he gave me my faith. He helped me repent. He accepted me. Because the Father raised, because the Father drew me and gave me to the Son. And and once once I personally understood that, and then I fully realized that there was nothing I could do for me to come to my phone, I mean to come to faith, and it was all a work of him and none of me, and that the best things that happened in my life were because of him and the worst things were because of me. And accepting Christ as my Lordship, as my Lord and Savior. And it's not that I just believe that there is a Christ, but I have accept. But 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 what has happened is that He is my Lord and He is my Savior, and I will do as as best as I can and as imperfectly as I can what He asked me to do. And here it is, and though you have seen him, you love him. Even though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And it is through that faith that we are held. Our salvation is secure. That's what I would like everybody here to understand. Let's go to Romans 8 real quick. And I'll be wrapping this up. Romans 8. Romans. Probably the, undoubtedly, the most epic epistle of, 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 of Paul's in the New Testament. But where I'm at is in Romans 8. And I'm at verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. This is what we're going to hit here, the golden chain again. Remember back when Bob went through this, if you if you were here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to come conform to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Okay, there's the justification. We are justified through Christ. That is our salvation. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know, it is through our faith in Christ and through the will of the Father that we are justified we will be sanctified. We will be glorified and be with him in heaven. 
no matter what that what and how that's going to be, whether you know Christ is is about to come, the end times are upon us, whether they are or not, I don't know, or whether it's going to be because you know God calls us home, we graduate, right? Right? We don't know that, but what I do know, what I do know is that through my faith, and unless I'm deluding myself, I don't believe I is that through the faith that God has given me, that, you know, his promise that says that I'm going to be with his son when I pass, and my wife Vicki, all of us in here, when we pass, and that's what I hang my hat on. And when I put my head on my pillow at night, you know, I feel safe and secure in that. Amen. And I'll tell you one last thing. I just want to answer a question here. Somebody is going to ask, or you may be asking yourself right now, well, what about those who fall away? Professing Christians. And understand, I put, I call it the professing church. But there's the visible church and the invisible church. There's the, there's, the professing church, and then there's the practicing church, the practicing Christians. Um, please, please turn in your books to first in your Bibles to First John two and verse nineteen. I just want to run this past you. In First John two nineteen, does is that you know when we talk about those that have fallen away, and, and there's some people that are going to point out and say. Oh, well, look at that. You know, this was somebody that was all amped up and went to Bible studies and did this, and, you know, put on what I like to call the show. Um, and then they fell away. One of those that I found really, I, I don't know if I want to say it wasn't surprising, but it was one of like, what was it, Daigle? She was a, 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 a faith singer and has totally walked away. You know, whether that's going to be a full walk away, whether God's going to call it, you know, whether she's going to come back or not. But there are some that do that and they go right into apostasy. You know, I, I believe what part of this is, is that, you know, you have somebody that, you know, goes to a church and they, you know, hear all this great rock music and stuff like that. And they get all emotional. And then there's an altar call. I want you to notice we don't do altar calls here. You know, if you are ready, you know, you know, you know, if you feel the Father drawing you to come to faith, you know, we'll be happy to go talk with you. We'll be happy to go pray with you. But we don't do altar calls here. There's been so many people that have gone up there, done the altar call, did the sinner's prayer, you know, and then they go back out and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I walked up and said a prayer once. So I'm totally, fully secure because I did that. But they go back into the world and they go back in and and keep doing what they were doing and sinning, etc. You know, that is not a sign of conversion. All right. So when they fall away like that, it's what it says here in 1 John 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Okay, notice that they went out from us. But they were not really of us. They were not saved. They were not Christians. 
For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. They would have remained in the faith. But they went out so that it would be shown that they were not of us. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, there are people who profess to be Christians and who are not. Do I know if someone's a Christian or not? Can I just look at him and point out to him and say, oh, you're not saved. I can't do that. That's between them and God. I can look at their behavior and I can come up with an opinion. I can. I can look at them and say, if there has been no true conversion, if your life has not turned around, it's not going to turn around maybe immediately. But these are the people who they point to and say, well, look at that. You know, so-and-so, they fell away. So this doctrine of perseverance of the saints is not right. Again, I will say, if it was up to me to maintain my faith, I would fail. And I would fail fully if it was up to me. But I praise God and thank God that it's not up to me, that it is that it is his works, and it is the works of Christ on that cross. Not my works, but the works of Christ on that cross at Calvary that hold my salvation. Because again, salvation is not salvation, brothers and sisters, without a promise of eternal security. So, with that, we're going to move into the Lord's Supper. But before we do, I would like to pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have been together here listening to your word, Lord, learning about you, Lord, praising you, love loving you and your son and your spirit. Lord, we are, we are so thankful for this gift of irrevocable faith that you have given us, this faith that will hold us fast through all of our lives, tribulations, Lord, and through all the problems that we experience on a daily basis, Lord. We're so thankful for your son and for the work that he did on that cross at Calvary for us. And that how, you know, Lord, we know, we know that that in spite of everything that is going on in the world, Lord, that our focus will be on your son, will be on Christ, and, and, you know, and that we will never, ever fall away. And so we give you thanks and praise, Lord.